Breitbart News Daily, our post-debate analysis. Oh, it was so much fun today. We took phone calls for three hours, and it was great. I thought everyone just made brilliant points. It was just wonderful. A lot of fun. So you can hear the whole thing on SiriusXM, uh, the app. You can listen back to it all. I uh, want to present to you here, first, the uh, opening segment, which was with Joel Pollack uh, from Breitbart. And then we talked with Alex Marlowe from Breitbart. Joel was there. So it's great to, to start off with his analysis, and we use that as the springboard. Uh, but I think Joel was spot on here. Here he is. Good morning to you and your listeners. Oh, you sound you sound bright and chipper for having a late night last night and getting on an airplane this morning. I, I I'm a morning person, so I'm always happy with the new day. It's a, <laughs> another day to win. Indeed, well done. Uh, okay, what, what, give it to me. What, what are you taking with? Well, I think that it was a more entertaining debate than many people thought it would be without Donald Trump. It lacked some of the spark that Donald Trump brings to these debates. It also the frustration that he can bring sometimes, although there was plenty of back and forth. Vivek Ramaswamy probably was the most prominent contender on the stage only because he fought with almost every other major candidate on the stage. He had shouting matches with Chris Christie, with... Nikki Haley with Mike Pence, I think, at one point, and it just went on. They really don't like him. I think he has irritated the career professional politicians because he's 38 years old. He's never held public office before, and he's running circles around them. So they are really irritated by him. Mike Pence, I thought, had one of the worst moments of the night when he attacked Vivek Ramaswamy for being young basically saying some people are too young to be president. Well, not really. And if you're Mike Pence and your calling card is the Constitution, then someone who's above the age of 35 should be old enough to be president. I also asked one of Pence's surrogates in the spin room how Mike Pence planned to appeal to young people if he's attacking other candidates as being too young. So Vivek got under people's skin, and it produced some mistakes, I think, by the other candidates. Chris Chris Christie real, quick, also. real quick on that, and then I'll, I'll let you keep going. Uh, yeah, yeah. On, that was the awkwardest moment. There was, and I, I can't find it, and I can't play it. We'll get to that later because Fox is being ridiculous with what you're allowed to play. But um, there, there was a weird pivot at one point when it, it went to Pence, and it had nothing to do with Vivek, and Pence did this like super weird pivot to Vivek, and the whole audience laughed. Because everyone, I thought I was like, wait, what? Why? Are you? Like, you are really, really trying to hit Vivek, even when it's totally inappropriate and unnecessary to do so. So very odd that they decided that's, that's our strategy, because clearly it was. Well, in many of these debates, the strategy is to attack the front runner. The front runner wasn't on stage, so they had to go after someone who wasn't the front runner, but was near the front runner, or at least hmm. second place. Now, Vivek is second place in some polls. Overall, in the Real Clear Politics polling average, he's still a distant third behind Chris Christie, excuse me, behind Ron DeSantis, who is 
himself a distant uh, second behind Donald Trump. But Vivek is moving up, and they sense that Ron DeSantis is sort of in a holding pattern. He's not exactly dropped off the face of the earth, but he's not really got the momentum to keep moving forward. So Vivek has become the man to beat, at least in the race for second place. He's nowhere near Trump. But that's why they went after him. And the first attacks from the night were against him. Nikki Haley sparred with Vivek. Um, I will say this in her defense. I think he actually had one of his worst moments when he went after her on foreign policy because she won on the substance of that argument. And he's still a little bit green. I mean, that's just my view of it. But he responded to something she said, which I don't think he should have done, but he Mm. felt like he needed to clear the air. A debate's not the place where you want to explain things about your position that people have a problem with. A debate is a place to make your argument in a forward-looking way and not to dwell on past yeah, attacks. That's Anytime a really someone good point. Debate, that's a really good point. Looking back on that, yeah, you can when feel you get the moments. Debate, you, yeah, sorry, you can feel the moments when they they try to explain a controversy from three weeks ago and it just, it just the whole thing comes to a grinding halt. You're right. I never realized what that was. Well, when you get attacked in a debate, you know, the rule is you get to respond. But you can say whatever you want when you respond. You don't have to say, that wasn't I, what I meant. And if you look at my full content, you know, don't say that. Say something new and interesting. You have another 30 seconds to put forward your argument. So he also interrupted a lot of other people, which wasn't a good look for him. If they're already saying that you're too young to be president, don't act like a kid at the grown-ups table trying to get a word in edgewise. Mm. But overall, I thought he did very well, certainly to introduce himself to an audience that may not have seen him before. And the question is, did Trump help himself or hurt himself by skipping this? On the one hand, he helped himself because he showed that he is clearly the front-runner, and the debate was often off the mark. I think Fox News, although they did a fairly good job, they didn't ask an immigration question until well into the second hour, so they went more than a full hour without touching immigration. Actually, it was Vivek who had to bring up immigration, and I timed when he did it. It was at one hour, 12 minutes into a two-hour debate, so that's not very good for Fox. And Trump, in his interview with Tucker Carlson, which he did sort of as counter-programming, he mentioned the border and immigration pretty much near the beginning of his remarks. So Trump was able to contrast his focus on the issues that matter with this sort of media approach, which is the character questions and sometimes silly questions. One of the questions was about UFOs. I mean, I know that's something of interest to people, but it wasn't really a good question. And Chris Christie had one of his better moments in the debate when he pushed back on the UFO question. He was asked about UFOs and he says, come on, I got the UFO question. You know, like, and and did a good job pivoting out of it. So, Right. Um, I don't think he had a good debate overall, although he did a few interesting things. He went after the Justice Department, which surprised me because he is so gung-ho about the prosecutions against Trump. He, he likes the fact that they're prosecuting Trump. So he's not the person you'd expect to criticize the Department of Justice, but he did criticize them for their handling or mishandling of the Hunter Biden allegations. So I thought that was good. But overall, I didn't see a clear alternative to Trump emerging. Mm-hmm. And Byron Donalds pointed this out in the spin room rather well. And I've got a story up about it. He had the same impression I did, which is that this debate needed to produce a serious contender to Trump. That is somebody who could attract 
support from Republicans in a way that would make that candidate a real threat to Donald Trump. And nobody emerged that way. You didn't leave the debate feeling like there was a clear alternative to Donald Trump. There were some good candidates there. There were some good exchanges. There were some great answers. But there was no alternative to Trump. And the other problem is that I saw this a lot in the Democratic primary in 2020. When the party is obsessed, or that's probably the wrong word, but when the, pro- when the party is focused on particular issues and they try to one-up each other on that issue, they often lose sight of where the public actually is. So you see this, for example, in what Democrats said in 2020 about climate change. There was this race to be the most aggressive on climate change. Now we sit here, you know, in California, we pay over $5 a gallon for gas. We have high inflation, high energy costs. Biden declaring a war basically on the American energy industry while going cap in hand to Saudi Arabia. You see where this radicalism on climate change has taken us. So sometimes the parties, both, both parties, can lead themselves to these positions that aren't really tenable. And, and you saw that happen last night with abortion, where the candidates were asked if they would sign a federal ban on abortion. And I know this is a very emotive issue to people, but as Nikki Haley pointed out, they just don't have the votes yet. You would need a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. You'd need 60 Republican votes, and that's assuming all the Republicans are pro-life. So it's just not feasible to campaign on signing a federal abortion ban until Republicans have a pro-life filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, that is at least 60 out of the 100 seats. And Doug Burgum of North Dakota, who injured himself in a pickup basketball game, he actually ruptured his Achilles tendon uh, before the debate. He still managed to make it on stage with a boot. And he gave a very, very good answer on abortion where he said, you can't campaign and fight for 50 years for states to have the right to set abortion law and then turn around after the Supreme Court lets you do that and say, now you want to have a federal ban. So uh, he he even took a pocket copy of the Constitution out of his suit jacket and held it up. And I I thought that was very effective. The problem is none of the candidates spoke with any empathy toward women who are concerned about this issue, whether it's pro-life women or pro-choice women. It was all a bunch of abstract answers. Even Nikki Haley's answer was about counting votes and federalism. And all of that is important, but the reason Democrats win on this issue, and this is the reality Republicans missed, is that women care about the issue, regardless of the ins and outs of whether you have third trimester abortion or whatever. Women don't feel like the Republican Party hears them on this issue and understands that this issue isn't just about the issue of abortion, but about the issue of the freedom that women, a lot of women want to feel, even conservative women, when they go about their lives. And I don't think that Republicans, any of the candidates, showed empathy toward women in their answers. They all just jumped into the policy debate. So that's an example of, of, of a case where the parties are so wound up in a particular issue that they can't seem to see the forest for the trees. And, and so the debate exposed some of that weakness. I don't know if that's going to be resolved in time for Election Day 2024. It is something that Donald Trump can seize on if he notices it. So he benefits in a sense from sitting back and letting them make some mistakes like that. But here's where I think Donald Trump might have run into trouble. What Jack Smith and Joe Biden and Adam Schiff and all the Democrats and prosecutors who want to get, you know, they want to get Trump. Why do they want to get Trump? They want to get him out of politics. 
And in some ways, last night, he gave them that satisfaction because he didn't go on stage. Now, not for that reason. Nothing would have prevented him from going on stage, even though he's going to Fulton County, Georgia today to surrender to authorities in this ridiculous fourth indictment. But because he allowed people to see what a post-Trump Republican Party would look like. Now, people might not have liked it, or maybe they did, but the point is you don't want people to get used to that idea. If you're a candidate in the race and you are still central to the Republican Party, you don't want people to get used to the idea that you're going to go away and that they're going to be able to sort of get past you. So I I think Trump may have made a mistake there in that this post-Trump Republican Party, which is what his enemies want more than anything— appeared on stage and it wasn't terrible it was it was engaging it was more interesting than we expected it to be and you know trump's got to fade from the political scene eventually and i think even the most diehard trump supporters understand that but when you're still trying to lead the party and lead the country it's probably not the impression you want people to have as they start thinking about the primaries for the presidential race in 2024 yeah that's an interesting counter that's interesting I wonder what he would say to that. I guess the rebuttal would be something like uh, 70% of Republicans say they support me and I have the most rock solid support of my supporters, of all the supporters. So I, I obviously was there <laughs> and everyone knew uh, that I'm the front runner either way. But I, I definitely, yeah, that's a good point. I think maybe the other alternative is there's still a long way to go. And as you said, he will eventually, well, either everyone will peter out and go away and there will be no more debates like, after debate three, uh, or he'll have to eventually get up there when it's like just two guys left and he can, he can jump in. Um, speaking of Trump, did you watch the Trump interview? I only watched a little bit of it. I didn't really get a chance. You know, I tried listening with one ear while I was watching the debate. It, it was yeah, just impossible to do. Yeah. So I relied on my colleagues to provide the coverage. Yeah. Yeah. You, I tried to do both too. And I, I tried to like uh, listen to one and then read the closed captions of the other. <laughs> it's like, I, I can't, first of all, the Trump stuff's too good to only give, uh, you know, half an ear or two. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you can't do it at the same time. Um, what about Fox? How'd Fox do? How'd Martha and uh, Brad do? Well, I'm very grateful to Fox because they gave me one of the best seats in the media center. I had the seat basically right next to the spin room. They didn't do that on purpose, but that's always good if you're a reporter because you need to go back and forth between the spin room and filing a story. Hmm. But in all seriousness, I mean, I don't think they did great. They didn't do terribly. But why leave an immigration question to the second hour? And, you know, Fox has been okay on covering the border. I mean, they have followed Breitbart's lead. I'll say that. We were the first to make border coverage a high priority. They followed up. And they've done some good work. But how do you cover the border as a serious crisis and then not ask about it up front? Why is the first question or one of the first questions about climate change? I understand the Hawaii fires and so forth, but the Hawaii fires are not about climate change. The Hawaii fires about, are about the failure of government all the way up to the federal level, local, state, federal, and the mismanagement of the electricity supply and the non-native grasses that spread the fire and provide fuel for the fire, all that. Why leave immigration for an hour after that, more than an hour after that, if you're going to cover it in your news coverage? So I think they let themselves down a little bit because that first debate is an opportunity to set the agenda for the primary. And clearly the border and immigration are 
one of the most important challenges facing this country, also one of the top issues motivating Republican voters. And it, it didn't appear until one of the candidates brought it up well into the second hour. So I think they fell short there. But overall, the debate was good. I mean, I think it, let me put it this way, a Trumpless debate beat expectations for how much fun it would be. So it's a win for Fox in that regard. Uh, my last question, and it's uh, interesting that it's taken us 20 minutes to get here. Ron DeSantis. That's uh, interesting that he's that's not the, the headline at all. He's like he's like the, the closing thought after thought question. <laughs> what would you make of it? I thought he did okay, but he didn't smile. And... I forgot who said that in the spin room. I don't really care if a candidate smiles or not, although I think Marco Rubio should smile more often because he's a handsome guy and it would help him. But I think the lack of a smile, even though DeSantis otherwise had a solid performance, tells you that he's not really connecting with voters on an emotional level. He's not there with them. He's not, he's not as much fun. He's reciting the talking points. I don't, I don't want to say it that way. That, that I think, is not fair to him. I, I think he comes at these issues from a position of experience and passion and commitment. Yes, yes, yes. But he's sort of checking off the conservative boxes instead of showing voters that he can come down to where they are and have a little back and forth, be a little bit improvisational. And, you know, he did something I don't like when candidates do. And Nikki Haley did the same thing, so I'll fault her for it as well. He avoided the spin room. The spin room is the one chance that journalists who are not from the host network get to ask spontaneous questions. And you don't have to spend forever in there, but just show up, talk to a few reporters, make yourself accessible. Nikki Haley didn't do it. Ron DeSantis didn't do it. He did his Fox News interview on the set, and then he hightailed it out of there as fast as he could go. Whereas other candidates lingered. Mike Pence answered a lot of questions. Vivek Ramaswamy answered a lot of questions. And when Trump was running for office in the debates, he would come to the spin room and stay until there was nobody left who had a question. Really? You know, you show that you're willing to give up your time, not just to the media, because who cares about us? But you show that you're willing to give up your time to the American people who don't really have anyone else, for better or for worse, than those journalists in the room to ask questions on their behalf. And so um, that's really interesting. I think DeSantis missed an opportunity. You, if you're trying to recover your position in the polls and you want to get noticed as much as possible, get down there in this spin room and wrestle with the journalists a little bit. Let them throw some questions at you. Make yourself accessible. And he didn't do that. So I think he missed an opportunity, even though he had a solid performance on the substance. I think he missed an opportunity to interact with the audience, with the voters, with the media in a way that would show he empathizes with the American people as people, not just on paper, but as human beings. Yeah, on your smile point, that I think it was Matt Boyle who asked him why DeSantis, asked Trump why DeSantis is so far behind, and uh, Trump just quickly, matter-of-factly said he has no personality. That's, it, that, that's his diagnosis. He just got he's got no personality. I think he might have a good personality. He's trying a little too hard, mm. and you um, know, just needs to relax a little more. That's also uh, Vivek Ramaswamy in the middle of all those fights he had was still smiling and laughing and having fun. Yeah, yes, I have fun. That's a, a good point about the spin room. I didn't realize that Trump would stay around the whole time. I can see the idea behind both plays. Uh, maybe if you stick around, that seems low rent and desperate. 
And if you don't go, then uh, oh well, I'm um, I'm fine. I don't need this, and, I, and I'm I, you know I'm going out on top, and I'm better than everyone who needs. It. Uh, I can see both plays. I would almost think Trump would be the guy who would just kind of go in, say hi, and leave. But you say Trump was the guy who stuck around all the way to the end. Yeah, I'll leave you with this thought. I was told by political consultants when I got into politics many years ago that you want to arrive late for events and make yourself inaccessible so that you create an air of mystique around exactly. your candidacy. Exactly. Yep. That's what they do. Trump did the opposite and does the opposite. He arrives on time for events and he speaks for as long as anybody wants to hear him. And that conveys a message to voters that they're, they are worth his time. And so actually, although, you know, it could seem, as you say, low rent to sort of hang around all the time. For a candidate like Trump, who comes from, originally anyway, who comes from wealth and celebrity, to spend that much time with ordinary people, it begins to feel like an act of generosity, and it endears people to him, and, and, and vice versa. So I think if you're Ron DeSantis, you've got to start getting out there and talking to people more and uh, taking more questions and not just doing the set piece on the Fox News channel and walking off mm. and going to wherever you go. Yeah, That's good. not going to work against Donald Trump. Uh, Joel, thank you for being here. Get on the airplane. Uh, and thank you for all your coverage last week. It is, uh, when I, every time I went to Breitbart.com, you had like 10 stories that you were just <laughs> about all the <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank so you. I know you worked extra hard last week, so thanks for that. All right. Take care. Appreciate it, man. It's Joel Pollack right there, senior editor-at-large at Breitbart. Awesome. Used some of his insight here to take a just hours of phone calls, and then we wrapped up the show with the editor in chief, Alex Marlow. Alex, how are you, sir? I'm good, Mike. Good morning. One great thing, maybe the best thing about being on the West Coast, is things are at an appropriate time. Yeah, it's not fun to do the East Coast debate night because it just goes, you end up winding down to like 1 a.m. And then uh, if you get a morning show in particular, which uh, I did for many, many years, as you might be aware. Yeah, those, those, those are long days. It like starts, long days. starts at 9. Yeah, I don't. starts at 9. <laughs> Who can think you know, at 9? What's, what's interesting is so much of the world is programmed for the East Coast. And so, so East Coast people get very spoiled. Uh, and if offense is taken good, everyone can be offended by that. <laughs> Stick it to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, the East Coast gets. I mean, everything we you look at East Coast primetime as sort of the the centerpiece for everything. But for whatever reason, these debates now they start so late. Like I just have no idea why um, that's necessary. I just don't. In the modern times, you can't you can't start it at. Um, you know, eight, eight. Okay. <laughs> it seems, seems, seems fine. I mean, it's like, it's not, it would, it would have been any harder for me to get to my TV at five than it was at six. Yeah, so I, I don't great. know, I'm, but that is, that is how it goes. Uh, so a big question that we've been asking all day, uh, started with Joel, who was there, Joel Pollock. Uh, and he brought us a great point. He said, we got a little, little taste of the, the, a Trumpless future of the Republican party. This is the Republican Party. This is the future. If there is no more Trump, if Trump either gave up or a little looking to 2028, whatever. And the question is, were you watching this thinking, you know what? 
I, th- I think he could do the job. I actually like Trump who? Or were you like, oh, man, I miss Trump? What was your take? Um, I It's interesting because I hadn't thought of it in that context, even though it seems like a fairly obvious one uh, in, in now that you phrase it that way. But I had more thought of it as this is sort of like a scrimmage and the stakes are low. Stakes are almost almost nothing, to be honest. It's just getting to know the people who are there. And I, I was looking at it. I had my news guy hat on, uh, my guy who is, uh, is forced to, become hell or high water to having to populate a news website every day and uh, just thrilled that we had some interesting stuff. We have interesting content. Uh, I have uh, I have opinions on just about everyone in the field with maybe one or two exceptions. Uh, I thought there were some exciting moments. I think that some of the bad guys made some good moves. I think some of the bad guys made some terrible moves. I thought some of the some of the good guys uh, made uh, disappointing moves. I mean, all that stuff is fun, and that's how I looked at it. Because obviously, everyone's forty points down, so this is a very, <laughs> very, very low implications for the, for this time around. Uh, but the other thing that's noteworthy to to that point is thinking about people like a Chris Christie, whose timing is just so terrible um, that he really could have been the guy uh, in two thousand and eight. And uh, he didn't run and he really passed it up that chance. And then now he's running now where he's absolutely not the guy and there's no chance he'll be the guy. And he doesn't even feel like he thinks he's the guy. He thinks he's there just to be a spoiler for other people. And that just seems so strange to me. That seems very strange to me. Uh, Another one is someone who I've liked traditionally who I, I'm not understanding where he fits in this field is Mike Pence. Uh, Mike Pence is a good man, and I think that he was a good congressman, a good governor, and a good vice president, a great vice president. And I just don't know what he's trying to say here. He seems to only dis- differentiate himself here in that he uh, is so pro-Ukraine. It's just like, that's the lane we're picking after all these years in public life. Why not just hang out? Mike, we've been electing uh, our, our, the two presidential front runners are combined 11 million years old. It's the, he can wait four more years. Like, why is he doing it now? Why? Like, what's the point? I don't get it. Uh, it's the, it made for some entertainment, but you have to wonder about these individuals, why they're choosing to go through this whole process with a couple of exceptions. I mean, you know why DeSantis is in it. He's was at one point a contender and he's got the whole donor class behind him. You know why Vivek's doing it. No one knows who he is. He's obviously a talented guy. And then now more people will know who he is. But I'm kind of lost in some of the others. And I'm glad that they're here for our amusement. But that's not really what they're thinking, which is I would love <laughs> to ask them kind of like, what, what, what's, what's your angle here? Tim Scott, I get the angle. He's not a household name. Um, he's got some likable qualities. He's going to be a obvious pick for cabinet secretary positions. Uh, that stuff like, 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 makes sense to me. Could he probably on a vice presidential, maybe not short list, but at least medium list right now. I, I mean, that, that stuff makes sense. Some people I just don't get. I don't get what they're in this for. Yeah, let's chat about Pence because I thought Pence came out hot, especially against Vivek. Yeah. Came out hard and got a lot of time. I, I haven't seen like the time breakdown, but it just felt like Pence yeah. talked a lot. Yeah, he did uh, talk a lot, and that makes some sense in the sense that he's a a terrific debater. And I I say this not saying he had a terrific debate. I did not think he had a terrific debate. We can get more into that. I thought he had a uh, – I thought he was actually the disappointment because his debating skills – 
um, should theoretically be the best, if not second best to Christie. Um, he's an incredible public speaker and recall how bad he kicked Kamala Harris's butt in the VP debate. I and mean, he, he can do that. He should be able to do it in his sleep. And he did end up kind of dominating attention and what he did with that time, um, I don't think helped him overall. I think it probably hurt him overall. I think he came off as less likable and I think he honed in on or homed in. I always get this wrong. I think homed in <laughs> uh, on, on, on issues that were not popular with the base. Again, adding to my confusion about what the heck is going on. Some of these candidates. Uh, what was your take on him? Um, I can't get past. I was loyal to Donald Trump the whole presidency until the yeah. end when it conflicted with the Constitution. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, I, 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 he has this tone and this metronome that I can't, I just can't work past. And it just screams and, inauthenticity. Yeah, and, and it's the wrong delivery for the moment. I mean, because the, it's one of these ones where he has to know the polling, the base. The base doesn't agree with him. And I actually happen to agree with him that there was he could not have overturned the election. I think it's kind of insane that so many people in the audience and people listening right now even think that Mike Pence could have just overturned the election um, and single handedly and that, you know, Kamala Harris could overturn it this time. And uh, every other vice president could have just stopped the election and none of them have done it so far. I, I just think all that's just uh, insane. But he could have worded it in a way that I think was more conciliatory to the people who have to vote for him, which again makes me think then who was he targeting? Who was he targeting with that uh, sort of uh, pedantic cadence that he had? I, mm. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I would like to ask him. I, and I, I made this point earlier with him and Vivek, they both have their public speaking voice. And I can't judge whether it's inauthentic or not because I've never heard them speak to their families or children or off mic. So if just if uh, Pence talks like this to his wife, honey, how was your night last night? <laughs> like if he does that, then I'm like, oh, okay, well then that's just like how he talks. Uh, but yeah. if, if he's talking to his wife, like, hey, hon, uh, you know, you, you need some, you want some coffee? Then it's like, oh, why do you turn it on like that? Why do you, what's this like performance thing? Uh, I don't want to go down the election road, but you, you mentioned it, and uh, we'll just go real quick. Here's Trump last night on Tucker. Uh, psych out. Internet's not working. Um, let's pivot, though, to Trucker, Tucker. Uh, what'd you make of Trump's performance last night? I, I didn't watch. Um, the, I had to do the debate, uh, and the the I felt like that we would be pretty saturated with the Tucker-Trump stuff, and our team at Breitbart would be very capable to deal with that. So I, I focus on the debate. Um, it's the I, I just get such a kick out of what, what Musk's uh, view counter. It's just uh, every time I look down at the views, and it's 110 billion. It's 300 trillion. It's <laughs> a quadrillion views, and I just find that um, you know Musk is generally irritating to me. But uh, he's claiming already uh, 170 billion people, or, or 170 million people have already watched this thing. Yeah, do you want to explain false. what a view is? In, yeah, exactly. Of, of, of course, that's false. Uh, but this is where, and I try to give, I don't know if I've complained about Musk uh, with you enough, Mike, but I, I'm generally not a fan. I don't think he's going to get us to Mars. I, I wish he would, um, but he's. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's kind of does his goofball stuff um, and uh, he, he could could do better for society than, than what he's doing with his time personally. And I think Twitter is an absolute uh, problem. I think it's worse than it's ever been. Uh, I could do all that. 
but I love it when he does. This is like a Trumpian thing <laughs> where he's such a great troll. We're just going to say it's got 200 million views and make people come and tell us it's false. Yeah. They have no way of proving it's false. We're just going <laughs> to do that. And I, I just enjoy, I get such a kick out of that. And the audience does too. So we post these stories at Breitbart and they just go crazy. They just go, everyone shares them. Um, but the quotes that we isolated from Trump all, all seem to be very good. Um, it seems like he's getting his fastball, unlike, you know, Pence, who, again, I like Pence. I, I know we're ragging on him, but I, I, I feel like he's losing his fastball. And mm-hmm. I feel like Trump, Trump, Trump seems to be getting it. It seems like him saying he's too high up in the polls. So he did the Tucker thing. Um, he doesn't like Fox, which he he doesn't. That makes sense. Um, I, I think he even said that Epstein probably killed himself. I, I, I guess that's was my favorite of the the pullouts that we had because I, I does anyone think that i guess trump's alone he's the only one who thinks epstein probably killed himself <laughs> um it's the and then he was he was sharp on immigration he said immigration's number one issue um you know fox didn't bring up immigration for an hour and 20 minutes uh in the debate which is a disgrace they brought up climate change beforehand um and a bunch of other uh, sort of left-wing talking points so he was going after christie he was going after uh asa hutchinson all, all that's fine so everything yeah. i read sounds good did you watch what did you that's think? very good I, I thought it was excellent i thought um trump's 77 right so he's yeah. pretty old right i mean like when when i hit 77 i expect to not have my fastball and yeah. i thought he was as sharp as he's ever been you and i have lamented before the the, the 2016 uh rally trump is like yeah. the best trump it's like oh yes love this and Absolutely. we haven't seen that in a while and i don't know if we'll, we'll get that at the rallies but i thought he was sharp and connected and focused and uh looked really really good right as, as opposed of course to biden who couldn't have a conversation like that so uh i thought that was great and then of course some of his all-time funny moments just classic classic trump but here's an like the kamala line like that's just as good as trump gets like, uh, what, was, what was the line on that one? Uh, let me pull it up here. Um, here it is. Here we go. He has some bad moments. Her moments are almost as bad as his. I think his are worse, actually. Yeah. But she seems pretty senile, too. She speaks in, uh, in rhyme. And, uh, it's weird. It's weird. But she has bad moments. And in rhyme? What do you... Well, the way she talks, the bus will go here, and then the bus will go there, because that's what buses do. And... <laughs> this is not a president of the United States future. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you played that because I um, have spent I've spent some time thinking about Kamala Harris in the context of the uh, upcoming book that this audience knows about. Um, then, and um, I think Trump's right on this. I, I think her gaffes are uh, as bad as anyone in American public life, other than Biden. And we don't really talk about them because Biden's, of course, are the worst, famously. And so we do miss that she says some of the most insane things you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> and we do kind of just blow through it. And I just and again, Mike, what's so great about Trump is not just that he made that observation, which was hilarious and smart, uh, but it, it, it is the tone, the cadence, the way he delivers it. I mean, that's the type of stuff you just can't you can't teach. That's a product of a lifetime in the limelight. So I, I love um, love my wife is what I was going to say. Uh, but uh, I love <laughs> with her engaged in the politics because I think she's the average person when it comes to political engagement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love just seeing what she hears because, like, if she heard of something, that means it broke through the bubble of of like you know focus you know, people who are hyper focused all the time. So it's like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So last night she was doing something on the computer and I was sitting on the couch 
watching the debate. And then during commercials, I would turn on the Trump thing and listen to that. It's kind of doing weaving them both. And during the debate, she never piped in once. <laughs> she never perked up, never said a thing. I, don't, I mean, I think she looked at it once, maybe just to see what Nikki Haley was wearing. I think that was kind of it. And then when Trump, every time Trump talked, she, she was laughing or, wait, what's that about? Or, oh, that's, oh, totally. Amen. Right. So she, like, I just, there's something about it. That's I just, Trump still has that and no one else can. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no. And, and, and this kind of comes back to your original point about the Trumpless future and what that could look like. And I'm very nervous about what the Trumpless future could look like because Trump's insane ability to take a punch is yeah. uh, something that is it, it, it's going to have to be no one is going to get to Trump's level. But you have to have that. You have to be that glutton for punishment from the establishment press in order to make it into the top of the next, into into the top tier of politics on the Republican side for the foreseeable future. The next couple decades is just the way it's going to be, and that is really going to limit who's going to go into public office, who's even going to serve in administrations, much less run for the highest office in the land. And, and, and that's the part that's darker to me is you're going to get, you have to have a huge ego to run for president, but you're going to get people with just uh, off the charts, disconnected from reality type people. And uh, th that means, Mike, that I'm sort of going to be unfamiliar with who is going to make it. And I think when around now, when normal people start tuning into these debates, uh, you know, we're a year out, even more than a year out from the election. I, I think some of them are going to tune out and they're going to think, who are these people? Are these actual human beings? Like, where do these people come from? Why do they talk like that? Why are they acting like that? Why are they dressed like that? And I don't know if um, uh, I don't know if that's going to favor us because we like the individual who runs. The Democrats, of course, if they get lucky, they get a Barack Obama. They're happy about it. But th their enthusiasm is really for the party and the movement and this whole institutional left complex that we talk about so often. And they, they pretty much show up, case in point, Joe Biden getting a record level of votes. Um, and I do think that that is a it is something we got to deal with. And I, I'm not super optimistic at the moment. OK, hold on. I want to make sure I heard that right, because that if, if I heard this right, that's this is very, very interesting. So you're saying so we had someone calling earlier who quoted Rocky Balboa. Uh, it ain't how hard you hit. It's how hard you can get hit. Yeah. And, and keep moving forward. So you're saying that. Because the hits are getting so hard, yeah, that you need someone. The only person who could run for president and ever win must therefore be such a flaming narcissist, or or must yeah. have whatever characteristic that is mm -hmm. to such an extreme that yes. they're disconnected from humanity. Uh, it, it increases the likelihood by a significant level that they have to be disconnected. Yes, exactly. Wow. No, that the, and, la, the last part I didn't quite. That's not quite. They have to be what? They have to be disconnected from normal people, or what's the what's the rest? Of that yeah, it's it, it just not. Look, Mike, I, I, I've got a healthy ego. I couldn't do my job without it. I, you didn't go on air. You can't. You can doubt yourself a lot. But just the thought that you would offer yourself up. I mean, now they got them in mug. They're mugshotting them. They're they're literally hauling them into political prisoners now, just for running for office or being a part of an administration. Uh, for you to think, yeah, I'm going to beat that. I'm going to beat all of it. I'm not just going to win. Uh, everyone is. Everyone's going to love me. I'm going to win. 
And then when I win and I do largely what I promised and try to honor my constituency, uh, they might throw me in jail, but I'm going to beat that. I'm going to get through it. Everything's going to be fine. And then I'm going to go home and kiss my wife and kids when I get home. Like it's the, to have that mentality is so beyond having a healthy ego. It is wow. such a, a, a stratospheric level of self-belief that it is, I don't know if that's gonna necessarily select for the best leaders. Uh, wow. and, and I think that this is one of the traps the left has set for us. And um, looking at the field yesterday, I think that I'm comfortable with most of the people on the stage. I don't think it was a bad group at all. Um, I, I, but it was, I don't know if, to ask your question, if I feel more confident today than I did uh, yesterday is my point. Well, that I need to think more about that one. Let's talk about uh, Vivek. Sure. He uh, clearly was, uh, like all the campaigns said, let's attack Vivek. Uh, what do you find uh, his appeal for, from people? And do you have um, I, you I, I So he's got a particular personality that is very likable. Uh, he's very happy. He's upbeat. And we're in a very pessimistic moment. Um, and I think people really like a, a optimist, someone who is uh, upbeat, who comes off as fearless, who comes off as in it for the for mostly the right reasons. Obviously, Vivek is high opinion of himself, but it's a feels like I've accomplished stuff and I would like to do this and I think I could be of help and I think that the country could benefit from someone like me. It feels like the right the right things to do. And his slate of issues is generally pretty great. Um, I, I'm not sure the um, I'm not sure he handled the uh, George Bush did 9-11 uh, saga the best <laughs> that he could have. <laughs> I think he probably he probably probably could have made some different moves on, on that one. But overall, his slate of issues is pretty terrific and his presence is is very terrific as this audience knows i mean we've had vivek on a million times and and we're we're uh, friendly with him um the i thought though you know his persona is not going to be for everyone i think some people will i i i think some people will not it, it won't resonate with them but i think overall i think he comported himself well yesterday and probably helped himself out a lot this is a question i want to explore more tomorrow so let me give you a, let, me, let me throw it to you first sure. you can start it off so there was a, there was a there was a what time is it moment yesterday, where I don't know if it was a, I don't know if Vivek and Pence were going directly back and forth or they were separate things. Whatever, Pence is trying to or does the it's morning in America, yeah. Uh, thing he said he had this line: "We just need government as good as our people." And Vivek came back and said, "No, it's not morning in America. We live in a very dark moment." Yeah. Right now. And we need to really confront the reality of who we are. And he didn't say this. This is me. Maybe we're not good people. Like, like maybe, maybe the American people are not good right now and we're in a really, really bad shape. So that's an interesting divide that I wonder where our audience is. And I wonder what most conservatives think we are at this moment, kind of the Pence yeah, or I the Vivek. Sure. Well, if you think about the popularity of um, this song, the um, uh, Richmond, North of Richmond song, it's incredibly negative uh, about America. And um, it, it, some would say even too negative. Uh, and it, I, I mean, I love the song. Everyone does. It's it's the guy's got incredible Oliver Anthony. He's got an ama amazing voice, uh, but it's incredibly negative. And, yeah. and that's resonating with people. It's not an upbeat song. There's nothing positive it's, in it. It's a dirge. It, There's no question. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and I think that that so I think that that answers your question right there. Is that this uh, people are really uh, are people are very negative on the direction of the country. I think most people think the country is going the wrong direction. Some people think we're sprinting headlong into the wrong direction. 
And to see someone who gets that, but also is a family guy and made a lot of money and seems very happy and seems very happy to continue to fight for it, I do think is is infectious. And I think that's why Vivek is doing so well um, in the campaign is because I think he's able to channel both. Um, if you and I've had the opportunity to you know do some events with Vivek in the past and spoke to him on the show a lot, uh, he and I come from almost the exact same place in this regard. And so uh, it definitely works for me um, because... I'm very negative, and especially if you focus on what the corporations are doing, which is what his work was mm. for the last few years prior to running, about how we didn't just lose Hollywood and the media, we've lost corporate America too. And so we're losing more of the culture, more parts of the culture, and it is going to be such an uphill climb to come back. Uh, and he's able to feel that way and then still come out with a smile and fight hard. I, I, I think that's a great approach. It really is. Uh, and But I think that the... The, the, the we have to be very careful, Mike, in that we can't get too sour on this country. We have to be we can't go too far. I, he's not yes. doing it, but I am afraid that if we lose the sense of American exceptionalism the same way the left already lost it decades ago, mm. then we really are going to be on a road to ruin here. And it's going to be hard to it's once we raise a generation or two who don't think this country is that great. How are we going to raise subsequent generations to all of a sudden think we're great again? Yeah, I'm not totally. saying it's impossible. It just sounds really hard. Oh, totally. Um, what is the Breitbart.com approach to handling an event like last night uh, and future debates and just this whole political season? How, how, what should someone expect when they go to Breitbart.com and how do you handle that? Um, so I think that this is where we're at our best. I think the, the best thing Breitbart does is we do a lot of amazing things, but in terms of getting, when the whole world's focused on one thing, I think that's when we, our newsroom really uh, comes together and covers everything. There's no one who puts up more stories. There's no one who puts up more popular stories. There's no one who dominates big nights like this, like Breitbart. And you can see it in social media, we had consistently had the most popular posts in the world. Um, and we just have the ability to run what we call the hurry up offense, where we can just get story after story after story up and lay it out, I think, in an effective way at Breitbart.com. So it, 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 they are the best nights to hang out at, at Breitbart, and they're my favorite nights as uh, editor-in-chief. There he is, Alex Marlow. Thank you, brother. Yeah, my pleasure, Mike. Have a good have a show. Have Breitbart, uh, Breitbart.com, of course. I'm American-made. Today was so much fun, and we, we touched on so many really important things that all deserve a deeper dive. So let's do those tomorrow. I think the biggest one here that we're going to talk about is did anyone hit the Richmond, north of Richmond note? Did anyone hit that that, that note? Probably? And I, I was thinking about that before the debate, actually, and then that was the op part of the opening question was about that song. So I want to I go back and listen to it again, and, and we'll see if you just feel that anyone hit that the right way. And I want to know where you are. Very, very important. We're done tomorrow on Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Mm -hmm.